welcome to the Everything Theatre podcast, brought to you by Everything Theatre, a theatre review and interview website covering more than just London Fringe Theatre. Each week we'll bring you interviews with some of the best that Fringe Theatre has to offer. We'll talk to theatre makers about new shows, hear about the art of making the plays, talk about some of the wonderful venues you may never have heard of before. In short, we will chat Everything Theatre and what makes it tick. So let's dive straight in and hear what today's episode has to offer. Today I've got um, Zoe Glenn, Billy Grace and Bethan Bark. They are from Not God Complex. And they have a show coming to Camden Fringe in a couple of weeks' time called What Makes a Body Terrifying. So, love to meet all three of you. Do you want to give us some introductions? Tell us a bit, quick, quick bit about yourself and then what not God, what not God complex is. <laughs> yes. So, um, I can start with a kind of who we are as a company. So, um, the Not God Complex is part. Um, performance collective and part kind of community engagement hub so we have the performance collective for which we make shows such as the one we're going to tell you about today and then we also have kind of another side to our activities which is with an aim to kind of get artists talking about how theatre can be done better so stuff like we have our own podcast through that we have kind of a network of artists who are also interested in that we host kind of occasional events about things like um the administrative side of making theater or um we'll have some events coming up kind of accompanying this show about devising queer narratives um that kind of thing goes under that side of the company so there's two kind of things going on there yeah i'm zoe so i'm one of the co-directors of the company um background in Device theatre and then I also teach in drama schools a bit. Uh, Billy do you want to introduce yourself next? Yeah sure I'm Billy I'm the other co-director of the Not God Complex and I also have a background in device theatre and I'm sort of expanding I'm about to do an MA at Laban so kind of expanding a little bit further into movement which has always been my interest. That's pretty much what I'm up to at the minute. <laughs> yeah, so my name is Bethan. I'm an associate artist <clears throat> at Not God Complex and I'm directing this show. I've also got a, a background in devised theatre. We actually all met on the same degree course, uh, which yeah. was European Theatre Arts, which focused on devised theatre, surprisingly. <laughs> um, and I'm moving into the realm of applied theatre. Um, so using theatre to work with communities or work with young people and as a form of outreach. Uh, so, yeah, that's what I'm up to at the moment. How long has not got... I, I can't say... I'm, really, I'm getting frustrated. <laughs> not it's like, God complex. Not, it's because I'm trying to say it in other sentences. How long has not God complex been in existence then? Um, since around... Um, like early 2020 just pre-pandemic yeah. like literally weeks weeks before the pandemic you i've spoke to so many people that seems to be the case right? the amount of people <laughs> yeah. i've spoke to in the last 12 months who have said yeah we set up we had all these great plans and then we had to shut down for two years you know everything was online yeah. that. <laughs> um and 
what's with the name? Because that's quite an interesting name. So obviously, I think most people hope you know what the God <laughs> Complex is. But what's what's behind the name of Not God Complex? It was a joke. <laughs> yeah. So I think we kind of throughout our training and yeah, throughout our degree had kind of a frustration with um, a lot of the practices that we were exposed to in that they were very um patriarchal very like there is this one guy and he knows everything there is to say about acting or this type of theater Mm -hmm. or whatever and yeah these kind of what we termed like god complex methodologies in theater and then we were filling out an application for something right in the early days of like forming this and we were like oh we need a name we we were formed i think yeah uh we were like oh we need a name and it was like well what what do we want to do what are our ethos and it was like oh not the god complex stuff so (laughs) here we are (laughs) (laughs) i i I think i mean let's face it most probably if you delve into most theater companies names there's probably some joke at the start of it to cause it so (laughs) i don't think it's that bad Let's talk about your show then. So that's obviously what we're here yes. to talk about most. Mm-hmm. Um, what makes the body terrifying, which is, I think it's a great title to start with, but what what can you tell us about the show then? Basically, the idea came from, um, we discovered that, because I'm from Scotland and Billy is from Croatia, um, and we were discussing kind of different folklore and stuff, and we realised that there is two kind of very similar um like folk tales which is like the celtic idea of kind of selkies and in slavic folklore is that i'm going to pronounce this wrong but rusalke rusalke yes there we go um (laughs) and these stories had so many parallels despite being from different branches of folklore and then we kind of got into a more long-winded discussion about the portrayal of water in mythology Mm -hmm. in storytelling and how storytelling devices are used to make it seem something that uh you should be scared of like a kind of scary entity and then we sort of yeah that started as the premise of the show and as we sort of workshopped it a bit it became about looking at kind of narrative devices storytelling devices uh rhetorical devices and how the same ways that people can be persuaded to be scared of the sea or bodies of water through these folk tales is kind of similar to the way that fear is created towards uh, marginalized groups and in kind of from our perspective as a queer-led collective uh, looking specifically at how rhetoric is created towards queer bodies queer people in similar ways and kind of paralleling those two things um so that's the premise there's going to be lots of poetry movement lots of different forms and disciplines and it will be serious but it will be fun <laughs> question that comes straight to mind actually and in your in the sort of literature for for the show there's a lot of talk of water are we gonna get wet if we sit in the front row of your show <laughs> um, no 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 <laughs> <laughs> just, just that, checking that- Sadly, the, we, the, risk, the risk assessment precludes it. <laughs> yes, but we also don't love. <laughs> uh, we don't love 
making audiences uncomfortable in that way. Yeah. I think because we don't like being uncomfortable in that way. <laughs> so you, you never have the fear of that at, at one of our shows. <laughs> it's not going to be like, you're not performing a paddling pool or something. Give us the fill of water. No. Okay. <laughs> just, just, just thought I'd ask, what, yeah, why, why was on my mind that question? So the play is very much sort of around these two different sort of two folklores that are similar. Are these folk laws ones we'd probably recognise in all sort of cultures, though? Because, you know, you've got these the Selkies, I can say. I'm going to struggle with the Croatian one again. Rosalka. <laughs> Rosalka. Are, are these mermaids, harpies? Or is, 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 is it something you see across all different countries have their own version of these folk laws? Yeah, I think we're finding that most countries have, like, equivalents, and maybe they're not exactly the same. Like, um, a lot of the Celtic stuff is, like seals are the animal that the kind of like half human half aquatic creature thing is but yeah you have mermaids you have sirens you have the croatian ones yeah the rusalka are kind of like the the closest equivalent would be a mermaid they're not but then there's rusalka are only female and then there's like the male counterparts not to be binary but um the male counterparts that look that are described as um like mermen so that is probably the closest description or yeah the closest uh, parallel yeah and there's you know there's so many stories from other cultures that are creatures and bodies of water but also things like sirens um we mm-hmm. found similarities and we we actually went to an exhibition um about the divine feminine and it was about all of these different myths and legends to do with sort of these scary feminine creatures uh, you know things like uh, medusa and there's so many similarities across so many of these different cultures that that wouldn't have known that they were you know talking about the same things but I think there's such universal themes of, you know, being scared of the water, but also being scared of the female body and maybe wanting to teach women to be scared of themselves or to not want to be powerful. Um, so I think these these stories crop up everywhere. Um, and I think even as someone who's boring in English, we've, you know, we feel like the lady of the lake and, and things like that. So they do they crop up everywhere. I think that's kind of why we got so interested in these stories. Yeah. Was, yeah. You know, we started with these very personal um, or, or close to us myths, but then we just realised that there are so much cultural relevance from those myths. Uh, I don't know if I'm making sense, but yeah. yeah no. From those myths and like how, how what those myths told us about culture then and how that is still very much in effect now and I think that's why we came to the title what makes the body terrifying because it is that fear of water and these water creatures that you are terrified of but they are women that you are also supposed to be terrified of (laughs) it's the body you're referring to in the title both the, the say so the human body and the body of water then is that I've just I've just, I've just clicked on that when you talked about the water again isn't it is that are you referring yeah. to both both yeah, parts it's, parts? It, it's yep. a play on words <laughs> it's very clever and I'm, I'm I'm embarrassed it's taken me so long to I, click on that <laughs> I was proud of it <laughs> yeah it is it, and what, when you just said when you were just talking about sort of, um yeah body of water it's only dawned on me that 
it I, should have been bloody obvious, really, shouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so let's get on to this, um, this thing about how you're relating this to the fear of, of, of queer bodies and that. I think you've you've touched upon it, but are, are these old are sort of these folklores and tales that have gone through centuries and that, were they used to demonise people we were scared of? And so that's what you're trying to say now, yeah? Is that what is that roughly? Um, I think what we're looking at is actually more the fear of like the water itself, so like the sea and all it contains, but kind of using these specific tales and these characters as a vehicle for that. But our kind of core interest is to do with kind of the nuts and bolts of the storytelling. So, yeah, like persuasive devices. How do you persuade somebody to be scared of something that is actually in lots of ways inviting or natural or whatever? And then how how do we see those same persuasive techniques in like politics, media, um, cultural rhetoric today that either literally or figuratively um, causes like fear and violence towards uh, yeah queer bodies. Yeah and I think it's also how the use of language and narrative devices can so easily make you think that one thing that should be so good is is so scary and we were having a conversation earlier today about the importance of language and um the really well-known example is like Pandora's box and she you know she opened the box and she let all the evil things out into the world but in the original version of the story it was a jar um so it didn't have a lid so she didn't open anything it just got out so she didn't actually do anything but by changing that one word in the story in one translation at some point she's now the villain so the use of language and how we tell stories can completely change who we vilify and and even you know you could watch the same story on three different news channels and it'll tell you who's the villain in that story and who you shouldn't like and who you should be scared of and actually we see that in these folk tales but we we see it around us all the time as well still now yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's it is about the, the and sometimes it's the little throwaway comments that you don't realise. And I say I, I'm very aware of this now from sort of what you know what I do everything theatre, what I do writing. Sometimes you'll throw a statement, a, a comment in without thinking what you know. Sometimes even the you know even sometimes comments I make have a, a basis in some misogyny. You know, that I don't. That, it's just ingrained into us sometimes, isn't it? Because the words, you know, it's just the phrases are there, the words are there. Um, folklores are, would you say, are folklores used a way to warn children of dangers then, such as the body of sea? Potentially, but I think it's like, you know, in communities, and especially a lot of folklores from very rural communities, um, that I don't necessarily know that it's, designed to warn children but I think it gets passed down through storytelling and it's kind of community held ideas about something but I think it's hard to kind of that way yeah but I think it's hard to kind of say now because obviously our relationship to folklore is very different 
now like we could go and we could look up every single version of a myth and they'd be slightly different mm. from different communities throughout a country whereas in the time where it was all um being passed on just through like spoken word that would be very different to me being like i want to read every version of the selkie myth from <laughs> like you know so yeah i think it's hard to say <laughs> if i response to that question <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think my question was probably a bit more vague than it could have been. Um, it, I, I'm, I'm really fascinated by the the two, the, Celt, the, Celt, um, the Celtic and the Slavic similarities here then. Did you realise you had similar folklores in your, you know, in, in your repertoire? Is that what brought you together to talk about this? Or was it just something that came out when you were trying to think of new plays and that? Um. <laughs> I think folklore is a like theme that we have been exploring kind of yeah. for a while. Um, our first piece was kind of looking at like some of the deities from kind of Celtic paganism and how they correspond to modern life. And that was like we started making the show Pandemic Hit and eventually we made it into a short film. Um, so it kind of got its life, but I think we did really want to get a live show mm -hmm. that kind of indulged our folklore interest <laughs> um, yeah it is kind of I think also just personal interest like Zoe and I spend a lot of time talking about yeah. folklore from and, and paganism from from each of our cultures anyway and I think I was thinking about creation folklore and creation paganism actually in relation to my MA but th this has kind of gone into a, a, a more specific more yeah a slightly different route to what I was originally thinking about but I, I, you know I've been in this space for a little while and thinking about how there isn't very much um, specific Croatian pagan tradition for various reasons uh, so I've been researching into that and I guess we were just yeah yeah we just Ended up here. <laughs> Ended up here. It was always going to happen, though. It was always, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 in keeping with things that we find interesting to explore and have yes previously found kind of rich to explore. And I, I think, but I mean, I think bringing in, say, Croatian sort of culture folklore is again, it's always nice to sort of absorb this into the theatre scene, isn't it? Because it's something different. It's not something probably many of us have experienced before so yeah it's great um which probably nicely then. i mean as as director of this piece <laughs> then how have you sort of sat down with um, billy and zoe and sort of just delved into their minds to get the sort of history you know, the, the background of all these stories from them yeah i mean we we had lots of chats um we did sort of lots of sharing but i i also did uh, a fair amount of research because i wanted to to fully understand these stories and yeah it was it was absolutely fascinating i think i've always been really interested in myth and folklore and legends and i think that it, it houses some of the greatest inspiration for for creating theater um i actually created and directed a piece a couple of years ago um with billy uh using a myth or a grim tale called the juniper tree uh, which is one of those sort of lesser known grim tales because it's very weird um, <laughs> and we we also explored a piece using the story of medusa um, 
so I think I think these stories are, have a great wealth of detail and, and characters and you know visions but also often draw great parallels to to what we see in life because that's why those stories happened I mean when I was doing the the research on the selkies I saw some things that said that um because of the way that people would uh develop families um and would want to sort of keep blood pure and, and things like that um one of the genetic mutations that can happen is that you can get webbed toes and you can get webbed hands and what people say is oh there's there's nothing wrong with me i'm actually part seal and that means i'm actually better than all of you um and then it became a thing that that meant you were sort of magical and it's, you know, these things can come from such different places but yeah there's there's such a, a wealth of um yeah stories that I, I think are wonderful to to play with and yeah I was very very excited for Billy and Zoe to to get in touch and ask me to work with them on this is that how you got involved is it was it literally they approached you with this play and asked you know asked if you're interested yeah pretty much they they got in touch <laughs> and we we want to explore these themes and we want to use these theatrical devices to do it and we've worked together before because we did our degree together me and Billy also lived together for a while when we did an Erasmus um so we all sort of know the things that each other enjoy and the things that each other like and stories folk tales myths very very up my street so <laughs> I think they probably went right who would want to be involved with something like this but yeah, yeah it was yeah. <laughs> so yeah i'm really really happy to be on board would the folklores as they were passed down say as you said before they, they get passed down word of mouth through sort of families and that and sort of back in the centuries and those those people passing down would usually be the men normally so there'd be a slight male bias in these stories would there it's a combination actually in different cultures it would it would very much be different things i mean a lot of the time when it comes to when stories were written down, um, it would be men in certain cultures, especially European cultures, because they were privileged enough to be given the education to write. Um, so even in things like, you know, the, the Bible or in Christian stories, they were written by men because they could write. Um, but actually a lot of stories were told and, and shared and held by women for a very long time. Um, and it was when these stories were maybe translated by men who weren't from certain cultures, they decided to use different language and suddenly these stories sort of became more and more misogynistic and the women who used to be the heroes became the villains. Um, so actually for a very long time it, it, it wasn't. Um, and it, it, it's really only in more, I say recent history, hundreds of years ago, um, that they did become more misogynistic. And so do you think that's important then now that people like yourself are trying to sort of retell these stories and from a female perspective? Yeah, I, I think it's incredibly important. And I think not only reclaiming things from a female perspective, but I also think from a queer perspective. I also think there's so many stories that are being reclaimed from a disabled perspective. And I think as a disabled creative, that's really important to me too. Um, and I think there's also things about stories being reclaimed from a perspective of race and culture and ethnicity. And I think 
there's so many wonderful stories that have kind of been taken away from people and warped and made to, to vilify the people that they were meant to celebrate. So I think being able to reclaim those and celebrate them and tell them in a way that, that we feel really represents us and what we want the world to see is so important. And that's one of the great things that, that we can do with theatre now. Which, yeah, I mean, I think the representation on stage of of people that you know others can identify with. I mean, we've just reviewed um, David's play, which was um, by a man with cerebral palsy, which they put on the space last week, and that's and our reviewer said there it was so great to see a play where it it just it was you know it wasn't about a disability so much as just about a person who happened to have a disability, and so really yeah, it, and I think that's what a lot of people forget, isn't it that you need these different faces. You need, I say, you need, you need, you know, you need queer theatre, you need female-led theatre to show that it's there and to give people something they can represent with. 100%, yeah. Outside of your play, so you're playing at Cat, so obviously this is part of Camden Fringe, this 15th yep. to the 18th of August at the Hope Theatre. Outside of your play, have you got your eye on anything else you plan to go and see at Camden Fringe this this month? Um, there's something on that I don't think we'll get to go and see because I think it is too tight timing-wise for our get-in time. Um, but there is a show called Tree, but spelled T-R and then two threes, um, on at the Lion and Unicorn on the 16th and 17th, which is by um, a couple of grads of the degree that we did, and it looks really cool it's like um interactive post-human perspective on trees okay. which sounds <laughs> fun, fun and funky um and also if you fancy a double bill then um emma louise oldfield is on before us at the hope theater um with her play keep it down um which looks great and i hope we'll manage to see at some point while we're sharing the building and she so she's what seven thirty probably before. Um, you... Yeah, I think I think she's on seven till eight, and then we're oh. on nine till ten. Okay, that's cool. Um, I, I I may I, I may look at that because I am I have been very much encouraging our reviewers to to double up for shows. Yeah. Um. Or where I can treble up for shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really nice to be like sharing a building with someone else as well, and to kind of get that like. Yeah. sense of community and like we've been like yeah it's just really nice so yeah well that's actually that's interesting that what's it what's it like actually um rehearsing and preparing for a for the play when you've got two or three on the same venue at the same time is do you literally have to book out your sessions of when you're going to be rehearsing in there yeah so we are not rehearsing in the space okay. um we're rehearsing um somewhere else but that is also a pub theater because we figured that would make our lives easier when we have to move um and then yeah we've just got like a tech slot um but it's all fine you figure it out <laughs> it, it is it's like it's not your problem it's uh Bethan's problem isn't it <laughs> <laughs> I think it's actually our producer Ailey's problem yes <laughs> to figure out where we are <laughs> yeah. so Lastly, to what I always say to people to wrap things up, really, sales pitch. Sell this show to us in 60 seconds. Have, have 60 seconds each if you can all think of different things to say. Why Ooh. should we come and see what makes a body terrifying? 
the Hope Theatre, 15th to 18th of August. Okay. You should come see What Makes Body Terrifying because it is queer narratives told by a team of queer creatives and artists. We're going to make you question things. We're going to make you think about the things you read, what narratives you're encountering, what you're being persuaded of subconsciously. There will be lots of fun, different forms. So if you're into a bit of poetry, into a bit of dance, but you're not really like into theatre normally or you're interested in those other forms more, there's something for everyone. Yes, come and see us. (laughs) Anyone else want to sell it to me? That all summed it up, is it? I think that's a pretty good summary. Um, The other thing I will say is Bethan is very good at actually making an enjoyable story. So I I think we can promise you an enjoyable story amidst everything else that we're trying to stuff into there. (laughs) It's going to be as well as a, a wonderful representation of queer culture and queer bodies and finding home within a queer body in a world that wants to tell you that you shouldn't find that home. We're also going to be exploring some wonderful stories, which I think really are lesser known, which I think are absolutely fascinating and beautiful. Um, and, and it's going to be really enjoyable. And if you want to come and watch the journey of these characters, and these creatures um then that will be just as enjoyable as sort of the other maybe political or social sides of the show as well so there's so many facets to it so many that you're not even gonna be able to know everything without coming to see it so i think you have, I have to, to come twice it. yeah <laughs> come every night <laughs> yes <laughs> i think i think i think people don't realize that about some of the plays though isn't it that sometimes you Sometimes plays do need to be seen twice to take in what 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 you've just seen. I've done that. I've I've gone to see a play and then I've dragged a friend along afterwards a second time, you know, a few days later to say, just come see this and just confirm for me this is as bonkers it's as it, and I thought it was originally. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so, and obviously, it's, it's this this is the first outing for this for what's make what makes the body terrifying. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So this is sort of the first time I go see it on stage. So, um, but obviously, I'd, the plan is to take it on from here. To talk, would be to develop it and sort of have it on as a full run later. Yeah, yeah, we're de- definitely interested in um, longer runs and also in doing some kind of community engagement around it. Um, we've been really fortunate that this run has been supported by Arts Council England, and as part of that, we have funding to do some workshops with kind of groups of young theatre makers and also a kind of open to anyone Brilliant. one as well um on kind of staging crew narratives and our process and yeah things that might be useful to people from that so kind of hoping to yeah move to a fully run and also continue that side of things so, yeah not not just to play but what goes on around it fantastic yeah. mm-hmm. absolutely fascinating i will say i'm re- I, when i started reading up on this play i was like i i think i might have to come and see this because it does yes. it, it while I think there is so much great stuff on the fringe, after reading about the two hundredth uh, press release, sometimes you start, start. Some of them start seem very much the same as the last one I just read. Yours <laughs> definitely stands out, and I think that's that's a good sign. And it makes I think it, it's why you should come and see a play because it, it it looks different from everything else that you go see this month, and we'll go see a damn lot this month. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. That's, that's fantastic to hear. Yeah, <laughs> you're selling it better than we are. <laughs> uh, Zoe, Billy, Bedford, it's been absolutely fantastic. I can't believe that's flown by that half hour. Really say it does have a great play. Um, we'll obviously put all the details up on the website, booking links, say, but for people listening, it's 15th to the 18th of August at the Hope Theatre. It's a 9pm start, but do get over there and see the 7 o'clock show at the same time. Or go to the Hen and Chickens if they've got an earlier show, because it's only 200 yards down the road, isn't it? <laughs> I hope they're close. I'm, I'm at both in um, a week after, I think. Right. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Good luck with the show. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. Yes. Yes, it's been great to chat. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Please check out our website at everything-theatre.co.uk where you can find reviews and past interviews that we've done. And please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes where we'll be talking to more of the amazing people who make theatre the wonderful place it is. This has been Everything Theatre. We hope you enjoyed. <laughs>